proclaimed the gospel. It says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Pray with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in that moment you opened up the heavens and you let Stephen see a glimpse of your glory and you stood up from your place at the right hand of the Father because that's what you do when your children are about your business. Lord, we stand here today the only way we can because you stand with us. Lord, let our lives cry out, not just here in this place today, but even as we leave here later, that our lives stand with you for the fame and the glory of the only name that is worthy of fame and glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Romans 10, 8, 17. The message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to be saved, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. But now, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news of Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles. You're going to need a Bible today because we're going to be in a lot of different places. So if you don't have a Bible, either physically or on a phone-like substance, um, please raise your hand until somebody puts a Bible in it because somebody will. I trust in that. And so while you're getting situated and you're finding your Bibles and, um, or getting a Bible, I want to ask you a question. It's not the question of the day, but it's just a question. Is the gospel worth all of this fuss? I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because we're all here this morning, so it's, the easy answer is, of course I think it's worth all this fuss because I'm here today. But I want to... I guess it's, it is your first talking points question on the back of your handout that's in your bulletin. I just want to ask it again, though. Do we really believe the gospel is really worth all this fuss? Meaning, what do I mean by fuss? Is it really worth all the tension it creates? Because honestly, from the, earth, from the world's perspective, it is much easier to not believe the gospel. From the world's perspective, it is much easier to not believe the gospel. Guys, I know Jesus said in John 14, right before he's going to the cross, he says, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. But then he finishes that thought, he says, I don't give peace like the world gives peace. He's not saying calmness. He's not saying easy. He's saying, because he says, in this world you will have tribulation. He's talking to us, church, 
You will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's where his peace comes from. Guys, there are other places in the Gospels where he actually says, do you think I came to bring peace? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. That doesn't sound very Jesus-y, does it? Why? What, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that when I, when I, I came to establish my kingdom, and when you are called into my kingdom, you are going to be in conflict with the world's kingdom. That's the division he's talking about. Guys, here's the, here's the ultimate, the way we need to think about this question of, is the gospel really worth all this fuss? If the gospel is not true, what are we doing? Like, honestly, if it's not true, what are we doing? Like, if you don't really believe that you believe that you believe the gospel is true, what are you doing here? But if we believe the gospel is true, then what, why are we not giving all of our lives to it? And I loved where the Spirit took our prayer time because those, once again, I say it again, those people who prayed, they don't get my notes. They don't know what we're going to talk about. And yet the prayers from the passages that were read to the, to the prayers that were prayed are so in line with what the Holy Spirit put on my heart for this message today. So here's what I want you to write down as your answer or to think about as you're in this first talking point. So in that space that I'm giving you, I want you to write this down. Am I giving my life to the one who gave me life? Am I giving my life to the one who gave me life? Am I Stephen? You'll hear more about him at the end of the message and, and, next, and next week as well. Am I one of the martyrs we hear about here often on Sundays? Am I, am I willing to give my life away for the sake of the gospel? Is it really worth all of this fuss. So today what we're talking about is on the other side of your handout, it's um, today's message, we're, we're doing a righteous recap of where we've been in Romans. It's worth taking the time to review where we've been because the gospel's just that important and what we're, we're in this series, Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel of Romans, so we're gonna review the whole gospel again today. We should never, ever, ever as believers tire of hearing the good news of the gospel, ever. Paul tells us, Paul, who wrote Romans, says, it is no big deal to me, and it is benefit to you if I repeat myself again and again and again about the gospel. He's talking to the church. The other reason we're doing this review today is because we're going to take a break from Romans. It's a lot of heavy theology, a lot, and we're going to come back to it, Lord willing, in August. But we're going to do a summer series about how do we take this gospel that we're learning about in Romans to people. It's called Gospel Conversations. And we're going to look at how do we make room for God to work in relationships that we're in. And we're going to spend some weeks in the summer talking about that. And we'll have um, a book out there. Uh, it'll be available starting next week along with a study guide to go along with um, D groups that will be going on. And so we'll make all that available starting next week. But I just want to encourage you um, to be, th like what we're going to do is put into practice what we've been preaching here for the last, this is actually our 14th week in the book of Romans. So I'm excited for that series as well. Today, the question I'm asking is, are you living for gospel glory? That's on your sheet. And then he's going to show us, we're going to look at four or three points throughout the entire letter of Romans. We're going to look at the fact that the gospel is all that will work. We're going to look at what does the gospel do that nothing else can do. And then we're going to look at what does it look like or how do you live the gospel out loud in your life. So with our first point, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. And this is why you need a Bible because I want you to, I want you to see what I'm saying. 
right? I want you to dig into the word because this is where the power is. Guys, I don't make the word come to life. The word is alive. That's what Jolene prayed. I think it was Jolene. I don't really know, but right? it's, I don't make the God word do anything. The word is what it is, and it is living and active and powerful. And so I want you for yourself to see what God's word has to say. So why is the gospel all that will work? Guys, Politics, as important as it is for us to engage in politics in our country, and it is, will not fix the nation's problem. It will not fix the world's problem. Right? Guys, great humanitarian things, building homes for people or feeding the hungry, as important as those things are, are not going to fix the problem. Why? Because that's not the problem. What is the problem in the world? Sin. Sin is the problem, and the gospel is the only solution. So let's take a look at what Paul tells us here. We're going to start in Romans 1, starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For, who can, who, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Guys, I want you to understand something right up front. Were the they. You are they. I am they. They are not they, they, or them. We are the they. Like, so when you read this, read, read yourself into this. Guys, everybody needs the gospel because everybody has rebelled against God. Now, for some of us, the rebellion he's specifically talking about, like, like I, as, as a God-mocking atheist for the first half of my life, I totally get the argument he's making here. But you don't ever have had to be an atheist to be a rebel. We are all rebels. Because if you, if, if you want to know more about how to understand what, why we believe the gospel, I, I want to really encourage you to be in the foundations classes starting up here on Wednesday nights, June 1st, because that's what they're going to talk about. They're going to help you understand, here are the arguments for why we believe what we believe, and, we, and it starts with, how do we even know God exists? Romans 1. So let's keep going here. It says in verse 23, so here's the problem in the world today. This is why the gospel is all that will work. It says, because they exchanged the glory of the, immoral, of, of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, idol worship. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts. We talked about this multiple times. This is meaning God just gave us what we wanted, what our rebel hearts wanted, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because... Here's, here it is. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That is the heart of the sin problem. Guys, we are all idol worshipers and our biggest idol is ourself. You may never worship Mother Earth. You may never have been an atheist. You may, but, but I'm telling you, every one of us in our hearts of heart, like we worship ourselves. And if you're sitting here today going, yeah, I don't do that. I don't even like me. I'm telling you, start like that. You're probably in worse shape than anybody in the room. And I would love to talk to you after the service today. Because the, the, the scariest place to be is the place where you go, I don't do that. 
Because where that leads to is, I don't need Jesus. Now, he keeps going in the argument, so he's like, okay, so here's the problem. Sin, we've all rebelled. Now, in chapter 2, he says, there, and I'm in verse 1, Therefore, we have no ex- you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourselves, because you who judge practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice these things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance, his patience, not knowing that it it is God's kindness that leads to repentance? Then he says in verse 5, but because, you're, you're, because of your hard, impenitent, or stubborn heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment comes. So he's saying, here's the problem. We're all rebels. He's saying, here's the next problem we have. We go, how dare, because the argument he's making in chapter 2 is, immediately we go, how dare God judge us? If he's really a loving God, he shouldn't judge us. And, he's, and the argument he's making is, guys, you do it to yourselves all the time. If you do it to yourselves and have no right to do it to, your, to each other because you're doing the same things you're judging your brother and sister for, then what business do you have judging God? He's like, it, it just, but this is what our hearts do. All of us judge. And all of us, frankly, want God to judge. We just want to be the ones that set the bar. And so that leads us into chapter 3. Now, if you go to chapter 3, starting in verse 20... Paul is making this argument, so where's the bar? Okay, fine. So if you, there's a problem called rebellion, there's judgment, which is just, and God is the judge, so where's the bar? Now he gets to Romans 3 and he says, in verse 20, he says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Guys, I have to stop there for just a minute and say there's two really important truths there in chapter 20, or in verse 20 of, of chapter 3. One, he's saying morality is not going to earn you salvation. Keeping the rules does not earn you salvation. But at the same time, he says, but rules are important because they point out where you're falling short. Right, so if you look at just right now what's going on in our country, what we prayed for last week in the, in the Supreme Court decision, we want to pray that Roe versus Wade gets overturned. We want to reach out to, young, to women, young and old, and men who are encouraging women, young and old, to get abortions. We want to be that voice of love and truth. But guys, it is important. Having laws that are against abortion is not going to change the morality of our nation. However, it does point out sin, and abortion is that, right? And so it is important for us to understand, we're, we're, our, as Christians, we don't just do away with the law, we recognize its purpose. And then we lead with love and grace. I hope that makes sense. I don't have a lot more time to, to go over that, but I just want to make sure, with, as I know, it's, it, it's top of mind and ought to be top on your prayer list over the next few weeks if it's not already. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Let's keep going in verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. He's saying something came into existence and in our world that revealed what righteousness really is. And he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So what is this it? Well, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's that verse. He's saying, he's saying guys, 
The reason the, the reason the gospel is the only thing that will work, is all that will work, is because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and the gospel is the only thing that does all the work. Like, that's it. Like, the gospel, and he, and he goes on to talk about that through verses 24, 25, and 26, where in, look in verse 26, he says, it was to show his, God's righteousness, at the present time, so that he might be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Guys, so, so ultimately, Paul's making this argument of we all rebel, we all, we, we all want to judge what, re, what rebels we want punished. He's saying God is not only the one who is, only, is the only one just to punish, but he is also the one who brought about the justification in himself through Christ. So take a look at your second talking points question, if you would. He says... Why does the world need the gospel? Why do you? And then the follow-up question I ask is, what does it look like when you live like you need the gospel? So there, I've already made the argument for why does the world need the gospel? For all of, I mean, Paul made the argument. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the gospel is the only thing that does all the work. So what does it look like when you and I live like we believe that? I'm asking. Humble. Humble. Good. What? So when, when someone gets to a place in their life where they're recognizing their own sin struggles, their own is, they come, they not only repent of those, but even confess them before their brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And see that, that heart continual transformation. Absolutely. That's, oh, so what else? What does it look like when we, li- when we live like we believe the gospel. Loving others. Loving others. Forgiving. What's that? Meditating on the kingdom. Gratefulness. Because remember we talk about that, like that, that we, I think there might even still be a copy or two left out there, that, that book, Gentle and Lowly or Gentle and Humble. The one time Jesus describes his heart, my heart is gentle and lowly. My heart is gentle and humble. Do you remember? Like that, that's, that is what was so convicting about that book. Is that's, that's, if we're to be like Christ, that should be our disposition. Right? At the same time, the, the other thing I haven't heard said yet is part of what we should be like if we believe the gospel is true is we should be about sharing the gospel. Right, if we really believe that the world needs the gospel, then we should be taking the gospel to the world. Whether that world is your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbor, or people in Mexico. Does that make sense? Okay, so, let's, so with that, let's pick it up in our second point. So, the, so Paul, in the first three chapters, Paul, makes this, Paul is making this argument that we have rejected the righteousness of God. In chapters 4 through 8, he says, now let me tell you all how God has imputed or given his righteousness to humanity. And that's where we're going to pick it up next, in chapter, starting in chapter 4. So we're on our second point. What, is, what does the gospel do that nothing else can do? So the reason the gospel is all that will work is it's the only thing that does all the work. Now the question is, how does it do all that work? Like, what is it, what is it doing? He's going to move from the question of, like, what is going on to how it actually applies to our lives. So let's pick it up, and we're going to look in chapter 4, and starting in verse 16. 
And I've taught through all these before. If you're like, so if you're wondering why we're going so fast, this is, some of this we've covered even two and three times already. So, um, so look at verse 16. This is Paul making this argument for, so now here's how, the, here's how the good news of the gospel came into being, like in physical space and time. He says that that is why it depends on faith. Remember, faith is the word pistis. It means believe. That is why it depends on believing in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. He's talking about Abraham. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So he's saying it's the promise of the gospel works for anybody who believes the promise. Keep going. As it is written, I made you a father of many nations in the presence of God in whom you have believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Guys, here's what the gospel does that nothing else can do. Death to life. The, the gospel, God, is the only one who can bring dead things to life. So if the problem is sin and death that sin leads to, then we have to have a solution that leads to life. And there's only one who can have that solution, and that's God. So, how, so again, he's like, okay, but, but how did all that work? Like, how did it all come to being? Well, glad you asked. He's like, look at what it says in verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed that he should be the father of many nations, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, a hundred years old, and when he considered the bareness of, his, of Sarah's womb, his wife. No, an unbel unbelie no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in faith and gave glory to God, fully convinced that what God has promised, he is able to perform. Guys, the question becomes, are we living like that? Like, are we living like we really believe that? Like, we really believe that whatever it is that God has promised us here, he is able to perform. And then, and then do we believe the mechanism by which he performed it? And that mechanism is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. So if the message of the gospel is death to life, what Abraham believed is, is my body is dead. Like, I'm, like, like that part, my reproductive body is dead. My wife's reproductive body is dead. But I'm going to believe that God can bring them to life. Because he promised us a son by whom he was going to bless all of the world through him. And that son became Isaac. And on that lineage goes right through to our, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now look at what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, you've been, you've been made right. Justified is a legal term. It means to be made right, to be made not guilty. You have been made not guilty by believing. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So one, we have to understand, peace with God, and we talked about this in great detail, isn't that big a deal unless you believe what? You're at war with God. Right? Apart from Jesus, we're at war. We have to believe that in order for any of the rest of this to, to even matter. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Guys, do you understand what he's saying? He's not just saying, guys, not only have you been brought to life, but you have access to the very throne room of God. I think it was Christian who prayed that. I don't know where Christian is, but I think it was him who prayed that during our prayer time. That you have, guys, it's the writer of Hebrews, 
says, therefore, because, because we have this great high priest, let us boldly or let us confidently come before the throne of grace. Because we don't have to come to God hoping anything. We come to God knowing his grace is abundant. His forgiveness is unending. His salvation is sure. We just come confidently because we go, it isn't about how I came. It's about what he's done. So he says, you're going to boldly approach that throne so that you'll find mercy and grace in your time of need. Our problem is, one, we don't, one, we don't recognize the need. Two, if we recognize the need, we, don't, we, we feel like we better, we better get this put back together before we go to God with it. And then maybe he'll just sort of put the, the final coat of paint on it. What, what, what Paul is saying to us here, what the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians multiple times, he's like, guys, just recognize that the thing you're bringing to God is a broken jar. It's a, it's a, it's a clay pot with a lot of cracks, and it leaks. So just stop trying to polish it up and just come to God and let him fill it. That's what the gospel message says. Death. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. They took the fruit and they died. First spiritually, then physically. To life. Romans 5, 1. That is the message of the gospel. Death to life. And that's what Paul is trying to show us here. So if death is a prod the product of sin, that's our real problem. So our problem isn't politics. Our problem isn't living morality, living in a moral way. Our, our, problem, ult, our ultimate problem is that we're rebels and that, re that rebellion leads to death. Then we better, have a, the only, we better have a solution for that death problem. And we can't on our own come up with that solution. No government system can come up with that solution. Only God could come up with that solution, and he did. His name is Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the gospel. From beginning to end, he is the message we're to take to the world. He just, and he's the only one. He is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. Guys, this passion that Paul has is why, we didn't read it, but it's why the, the sort of the theme for the whole letter is, is in Romans 1, 16 and 17, when he's like, guys, because I so have embraced this, remember, is the, gospel, is the gospel worth all this fuss? Paul's like, because I have so embraced the reality that the gospel is the only thing worth fussing about, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Why? He says, because from it, in it, the gospel message, the righteousness of God is revealed unto salvation. That's it. The only way to go from death to life is in the righteousness of God to salvation, which is the gospel message. Right? That is the message he's trying to convey to us. So look at your third talking points question. So here's the, if, that, if all that is true, Paul, writer of Romans... How can we get better at bringing the message of life to a dying world? How can we get better at bringing the message of life to a dying world? Well, I'm sort of glad that you asked. Because if you look at Romans 10, Paul starts to give us the answer. And this is our last point. How is the gospel to be lived out? How is it to be lived out loud by you? Romans 10 Starting in verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire is, is, 
and prayer to God for them is that they, would be, that they may be saved. He's talking about the Jews. He's saying, I'm praying that those Jews that will not come to faith in Christ, that rejected Christ, would come to faith in Christ. But he also is praying that for the whole world. We'd see that later. He says, for I bear them witness that they, that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. But they are ignorant, I'm sorry, for, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, of the message of the gospel, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they do not submit to God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now jump down to verse 8. What does it say? He's saying, what does the word say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we confess our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9, 10, 10. For with the heart that one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Then look at verse 2. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now get this, guys. What does it look like to live your life out loud? Okay, so that's the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Here's the question. He says, so he's like, guys, if this is so important, if, if this is the only answer to every problem in the world that really matters, he's like, what are we going to do about it, guys? He's like looking around going, so what are we going to do? Are we just going to go home? Are we just going to hang out and watch Netflix? He said, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how will they believe unless they've heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone preaches? He's like, guys, if somebody doesn't tell these people, how in the world are they ever going to know? Then he says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He's quoting Isaiah. And then he says, but not of all believe the gospel. So faith, verse 17, comes by hearing and hearing by the word about Christ. So back to our talking points, the last talking points question. Right? How, how do we... How can we get better at living the, mes- the, the, the message of life to a dying world? With our mouths and with our very lives. Last place we're going to look, look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. This is how Paul answers the question that we're looking at today. Are you living your life for the glory of God? Are you, are you living your life for the one who gave you life? Here's what that looks like to Paul. He says... I appeal to you. I'm in, verse, I'm in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, brethren, that, or in the NASB, it would be, therefore, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is the, your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because this is what it looks like to live your life out loud. The passage I opened with, Stephen, right? He, he, that was what it looked like to live your life out loud. He preached the gospel message. They hated him so much for it, they stoned him to death. And he got a glimpse of glory as he entered into it that few men on this planet have ever seen. Right, that's what it looks like to live your life out loud. It looks like giving your life away. It's, it's, it looks like making not just the words of your mouth, but your life. It's both. It's not just living the gospel by loving people and never getting to Jesus. It's also not 
just loving people and never getting to Jesus. It's, but, it, but it has to be not, I'm sorry, it also, but it, all, it can't be just, let me just tell you, you need Jesus in your life. Now go be warm and be fed. Like the gospel is a both and. I mean, think about how Jesus did ministry. He cared for people physically. He cared for people emotionally. But those were all means to what end? To share himself with them spiritually. And that's how we have got to get better at doing that. So are we living, are you giving your life, are you presenting your body a living and holy sacrifice for kingdom work? Are you on his mission? That's ultimately what he's asking of us. Guys, who wrote Romans? Paul. When did Paul, how did Paul come to believe this to be true? The gospel. He, got, he had an encounter with the living God. Turn to Acts chapter 9. I said, I said that Romans 12 was the last place we'd be in Romans, so we're done in Romans. Turn to, your, turn to your left, sorry, Acts chapter 9. He had an encounter with the living God. So in Acts chapter 9, sorry, I'm, there we are. Starting in verse 1. So Paul's name before he was Paul was Saul. So, so the, the reason I'm sharing this story, and you're going to hear more about this whole scene next week, but the reason I'm sharing this story is because I want to show you the impact a life lived out loud can have just to plant seeds. Now, what got Paul saved is the only thing that ever gets anybody saved, an encounter with Jesus. So in Romans 9, or in Acts 9, he says, but, but Saul, that is Paul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, so the church, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus so that, he may be so that if any be found belonging to the way, because they weren't even called Christians yet, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's hunting down Christians and bringing them back for trial. And then it says this, now, when he went on his way, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling on the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Guys, now first you've got to stop right there and say, was he persecuting Jesus? Not actually. He, I, he, I don't even know if he ever met Jesus physically. Who's he, who's he persecuting? The church shows you how important the church is to Jesus. To him, they're the one. It's like my bride and me, we're like synonymous. You're messing with me or you're messing with my bride, you're messing with me. So then he goes on to say, and, and in, verse, in verse five he says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now that's what got Paul saved. But here's what planted the seed. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter seven. One verse, verse 58. It's the scene I started with in, my, in, the, in the message, and we're wrapping it up, and the music team's gonna come up with this, is, remember, Stephen preaches the gospel. They hate him so much, they start to stone him. Look at verse 58. And as they cast him out of the city and stoned him, Stephen, witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's, he's like, oh, you want to throw stones at this Christian? Let me hold your coat for you. Now, you can't tell me that when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore, by the mercies of God, 
present your body a living and holy sacrifice, that moment isn't in his mind. He knew exactly what it looked like to present your body a living and holy sacrifice because he saw Stephen do it. My question for me is, if, am I living in a way that, that people would look and go, there is a man who is presenting his body to what he claims to believe? Is he really living for this gospel he says he believes? Has it completely, not just transformed his morality, but changed his focus? This scene, when Paul sees Stephen being stoned to death for something he believed in so strongly, haunted Paul for the rest of his life. I believe this is the thorn of the flesh that he asked Jesus to, to remove from him. Is the guilt he felt, again, back to our prayer time, imprisoned by. Because he's like, man, there, there, there were many scenes like this. And he's going, who am I? But guys, do you understand that what we need to learn from Paul there? Paul, who wrote so much of our New Testament, who is the author of, of the grace part of our New Testament. Guys, that is, this is the man. So when you hear the enemy whisper to you, who are you? You just heard pastors say, live your life out loud, but, but you don't know my life. You don't know how I fall short. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't, you don't, what, you don't know how bad my marriage is. You don't know how my parents are, or my kids are rebelling. You don't. None of it can be as bad as Paul was. None of it. You just have to trust what Jesus' answer for Paul. What did Jesus say to Paul? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah, you did all that. And guess what? My grace is bigger. My love is stronger. My way is better. So guys, as we finish up with this time in Romans over the, just, just for the next few weeks at least, and we say, what does it really look like in the coming weeks to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God so that we might prove what the will of God is in the world. Guys, we should do that with like great excitement and encouragement. So where are you at this, in your process of following Jesus? Guys, Jesus only, Jesus only invited people one way. He never said to a single soul, bow your head, pray this prayer, raise a hand. You know what he said? You, come follow me. You believe what I'm telling you? Come follow me. And his disciples, the early ones, Philip, meets Jesus, believes, goes back to tell Nathaniel, his brother, hey, Nathaniel, I, I think we found him. I think we found the one who is the one all of this talks about. And Nathaniel's like, yeah, has anything good come of Nazareth, from Nazareth? And Philip didn't even argue with him. He's not going to get into a debate. You know what he says? Just come and see. Just come and see for yourself. That's his only rebuttal. Is your life, is my life, is, is I, somebody prayed, um, I think it was Caitlin prayed, is our corporate congregational witness, hey, just come and see. I don't, want, I don't need to argue with you about your morality or not, or about your th about thoughts on this or not. Just come and see. Let's just get together and talk about Jesus. Do you see the difference in, but guys, are we living that way? 
Are we living lives that would say, hey, come and see. And then if they actually did, we, they, would, they would see him. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you that in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to do anything. We get to proclaim the very truth that brought us from death to life. What a joyous thing. What an awesome opportunity. I know that looks a thousand different ways, Lord, for, for all of us. But Lord, I pray that, we, that at the very least, we would be looking for what those ways are. That, that the part of you that we can reflect individually and then corporately may be different and distinct person to person and church to church, but let us at least live trying to say, just come see. Come and see if Jesus isn't better. Because we believe you are, Lord. In Jesus' name.